You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. Hey, this is Mark Hillman. And Paul Hillman. We're in New York City for the U.S. Open, and you're listening to... The, the Tennis, tennis podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast on the final day of the US Open 2023. You find myself, David and Matt back at Tennis Podcast Hours, which was quite frankly not plan A. Plan A was very much to record on site in the media garden just as we did yesterday after Coco Goff's famous victory buzzing and in the moment. However, as is apparently now customary on the last day of Grand Slams, the heavens opened and we got absolutely drenched. It's been it's been quite an evening. A second time in a day for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, a bit soggy. Uh, m- when it rains here, it doesn't mess about, does it? Um, and uh, when you two walked into the media room, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is, look, it, we documented it. Every misfortune is an, is an opportunity for content here at, here at the Tennis Podcast, so it's... Uh, it's on our Instagram if you want to check that out. But yeah, we did get we did have a bit of a shit the microphones moment <laughs> to end our time on site at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Centre for 2023, where Novak Djokovic has become a 24-time Grand Slam champion and a four-time US Open champion and lots else besides. That's what we're going to talk about mostly in today's episode. Before we do that, a hello to Mark and Paul Hillman that you heard there introducing the show. We met Mark at the French Open earlier this year, didn't we? And Mark has told us that he will be completing the Fan Grand Slam with his 13-year-old son in Australia in January and he booked that via AO Travel, our partners for the US Open and I'll be telling you all about the incredible competition that we're running in association with AO Travel later on in the show. And of course if you'd like to introduce a show, never want to miss an opportunity to promote this, if you would like (laughs) to introduce a show or get a shout out or become a friend of the Tennis Podcast and get access to the two podcasts that we will be recording in New York after this one, one tomorrow and one on Tuesday. The way to do that is to become a friend of the pod and the link to do that is in our show notes. Now, 
on to Novak Djokovic, a straight sets winner over Daniel Medvedev today, avenging his defeat to Medvedev two years ago by a very similar scoreline. The oldest ever US Open men's champion, a 24-time Grand Slam champion. I always panic about Djokovic podcasts because what can you possibly say about the greatest male tennis player of all time that hasn't been said before. I mean, I'm, I am officially out of superlatives, David, and I imagine you were as well during that one hour and 44 minute second set that you commentated on on BBC Radio. There's not much new you can say about what he's achieving. It's, it's another number, 24 in this instance. What he's doing, he's been doing for so long now, and he's doing it just as well as he ever has. Um, and it is, it is astonishing for somebody of 36 years of age to be able to do this and, and still have the same drive and perfectionism, as Goran Ivanovic sort of called it in his press comments, which we can talk about a little bit later. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's same old, same old in many ways. He's the best, and they've all got to try to find a way to combat that. The, the one thing that does interest me is that all three of their Grand Slam finals have all been straight sets and all kind of every one of them I thought would be a classic and didn't end up being there, there was a classic set in this one one I mean I've never commentated on a set that long before that was even longer than set two against Ar- Carlos Alcaraz but I am interested that they haven't materialized into classics where there are multiple sets these two have played fantastic matches against one another in the past where they've both peaked at the same time in those matches they just haven't been in any of the Grand Slam finals that they've played I think right yeah I think that's I think that's very fair Uh, I did thoroughly enjoy the second set and I'm sure most of our match analysis will be will be focused on that second set there was quite a lot going on there both both sides of the court I um, I saw David in the in the media canteen after that second set we I was refueling I don't quite know why, because after that second set, I really did think that the match was probably going to end in three sets. Matt was refueling after an hour and 44 minutes of just sitting down and watching it. (laughs) (laughs) And David was refueling after an hour and 44 minutes of describing the whole thing. I was was pleased to run into David, because during (laughs) that second set... Proof of life. Exactly. During that second set, I was having these conflicting thoughts of... So pleased David's getting this good set to commentate on, and I'm sure he's going to be punctuating these really great rallies with the perfect commentary. And then I was also thinking, oh, that's going to take it out of him an hour and 45 minutes. So I was pleased to run into you, make sure you're okay. You had a coffee, you had a cookie. I was pleased Matt, that you Matt were doing came that. back upstairs and said, I think David took the last cookie in the media restaurant. <laughs> I didn't. I brought my own one down from, downsta- from upstairs. You? But then I went back in and I had a whole dinner. <laughs> and, an, and then I had one of those massive cookies I found one of those they were next to the till mat you were just looking in the wrong place I was looking in the wrong place yeah. I was trying to find one I thought David's taken the last cookie but I'm not going to hold it against him because I've been sat down watching tennis for almost two hours and David's been commentating on it he is he's more deserving of it than I am um, but yeah I mean honestly even Novak Djokovic is having to repeat himself he, he <laughs> yeah. started his speech on court by saying well I'm sorry to repeat myself <laughs> but I gave this speech in Australia this year and I'm going to give it again because you know I think it's really good and interesting and it's like well yeah like sure 
you're doing a sort of victory lap of the tennis tour. You're going to say what you need to say everywhere. And for us, like, it is hard to find new things to say. I, the one thing I would say is I've never seen Novak Djokovic serve and volley so effectively. And that is oh, good, a new element to his game in his 30s that he's developed. And I think he may well have developed it potentially with tonight's opponent in mind because it's such an effective tactic. I mean, Carlos Alcaraz, we've seen him use it effectively against Medvedev. He, he struggled to do that the other night. But Novak Djokovic, who actually lost his first serve and volley point of the match. And I, and I thought, oh, that's, that's interesting. He's tried it. Medvedev's wise to it. And then he did it on the very next point. It- and got it right. And that I was, was like, fascinating to me. That mentality. first game where Djokovic was serving, he there was I don't think it was the first point. I think maybe the second point of the match. It wasn't a serve and volley, but he he approached the net and lost. Ended up losing the point. Lost a net point. Then the second, the, the next point after that, he serve and volleyed, lost the point, and the point after that. He served and volleyed again. And I felt like he was saying, I- I'm really not afraid. I- I- I'm- you've won those two, fine. But I'm not afraid. I know this is the right tactic. I'm not going to be cowed. But this is by a couple of couple of missed ones. And I thought that was so baller from, from Djokovic. Real, I mean, yeah, champion's mentality and then some. He, he won 20 of 22 serve volley points in the match. And I, that's a lot of points and I feel I feel about that I don't know where one thing ends and another one begins because he was sublime on serve and volley tonight he felt like he did it at all the right times just the right amount the execution was I can't remember a point where I thought oh he could have could have played that volley a bit better or you know that didn't feel like the right time to come in that was all honestly perfection but Medvedev didn't ask him many questions. Not like he did tonight. two days before. Not anywhere near what he did two days ago. I mean, his passing game was extremely poor tonight. I think execution and decision making will will come on to the set point he had in the second set. But he he picked the wrong way, didn't he? He should have gone down the line, and he went cross court. And Djokovic was he made it look so easy. He was just there waiting for it, just middling it into the open court and I, I, I'm i not finely tuned enough to the intricacies of maybe there was percentages on Djokovic's serve that Alcaraz didn't have two nights ago that was preventing Medvedev from doing what he did to Alcaraz on the serve and volley but those serve and volley points from Djokovic looked how I was expecting a lot of the points to look two nights ago with Alcaraz. Yes. And, well, and history suggests that that's what's helped Alcaraz to have this great record previously against Medvedev and very one-sided matches. Um, he, 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 I think, had a bit, of, bit taken out of him by that Alcaraz match. He, he intimated that. But because he just he didn't have the bite in his shots. He wasn't as aggressive. And when we, we, we watched the whole of the 2021 final together last night whilst... We were just sort of doing a bit of 
work and and it ended up being great preparation for me to just understand how Medvedev had hurt Djokovic albeit Djokovic had had 17 hours on court on the way to the final versus 11 hours of Medvedev 15 of 15 this year but it was a totally different approach then it was a totally different approach I felt against Alcaraz it was it was just jumping on Djokovic and it was the other way around in this match he looked he looked anemic to me in this match Medvedev now I I didn't I didn't watch that match two years ago in the final from 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 the stadium like I did today I watched it from 5,000 miles away in in the UK we weren't able to be here because of Covid and I, I am aware that your frames of reference when you watch in the stadium are different when you watch on TV and that was something that we talked about with the writer Gary Nathan yesterday and he put his finger on something that I I quite often think um, about that but but um, unable obviously to express as well as him because he's a, a brilliant writer but it is it's a very different experience and your frame, frames of reference are completely different but against a non-power player tonight um, Novak Djokovic is capable of injections he's not a a weak player but you know he's not He's, it's not Ben Shelton's forehand out there, is it? I thought Medvedev looked underpowered tonight. He didn't have the injections of pace. And I absolutely did not think that two nights ago against Alcaraz. He had zip on the ball. There was penetration. Even if there wasn't brute power and pace, there was bite. I think bite's a, a great word. And it just didn't feel like that tonight to me. Strikes me, and I, I, I don't want to recycle a, a take that I used to have, but strikes me that there's potentially a bit of pack hunter element here, like beating Alcaraz and Djokovic back to back. I think I perhaps underestimated the size of that task. Like previously, if someone had just beaten Nadal and they then had to play Djokovic, I would think, well, they're not doing that. You can't play two matches that well back to back and I think it took as David said and Medvedev hinted at in his press conference it took a lot out of Medvedev to put that performance in against Alcaraz and and I saw that and thought oh that's how well Medvedev's playing he can do that again but I think the reality was that was his peak and he came he came down off that tonight I mean he said he played what 12 out of 10 against Alcaraz he was 8 out of 10 tonight if that I I was thinking 7 Seven or eight, yeah. but but nowhere near good enough to be able to beat. Eight out of ten in set two, maybe. Yes, exactly. I had a bit of a different reaction to set two to to you two. I just never felt like Medvedev was really there. I'd, again, it was the feeling like he was he was he had more opportunities and he was hanging tough more and he he erased the errors that he was making in set one. But I still. F- Felt that way against uh, about the bite on his shots throughout well, yeah, the set. He, it never he was extending rallies and f- making Djokovic uncomfortable. But mm. I never felt like right peak Daniil Medvedev is is showing up here or sh- is showing signs of about to show up. I always felt like it was making the best of a a bad lot with a subpar Medvedev. Didn't execute when he really needed to yeah. at never any took point it to him. in the match. Um, and actually, I, I asked him the first question in the press conference, and I said, you know, when you analyse, would you 
would you have any regrets about set number two? And he said, yeah, I would. I'd, 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 I mean, he, he, he instantly said, I should have gone down the line with that, that backhand passing shot for, for a start. Um, obviously, I should have won the set. He said, I should have won the set. And, uh, and so there's loads of things I think he felt he could have done better. He said, I don't really see much point in analysing it because I know what Novak Djokovic plays like. Um, I don't feel like I'm going to learn that much for the future. But he was clearly irritated at his inability to win that second set. But, the, but just one thing that did interest me was that he said, I was too stubborn mm. with my return position. I should have got closer to the baseline. And I just thought I could adjust the height of the returns or or I was returning well enough because let's face it he was returning well enough against Alcaraz it's it's kind of understandable if you feel you can get away with it but you, if it's not there you've got to change something and we think that that's what Gilles Savara was shouting at him about at the start of the the third set again it, I, I'm I'm going off reports online because we're in the stadium and we're not hearing the on-court microphones, people watching on TV will, ha- will have had a better sense of this than we did, but they speak in, in French to one another, of course, and there was an extremely heated exchange between Medvedev and his coach, Savara, and it was it was Savara giving it to Medvedev, <laughs> and I kind of loved that. You know, I, I, I think the, the power imbalance in coaching relationships is often off-kilter, and I know it can be uncomfortable seeing Medvedev give it to Savara the way he does sometimes, but I think it kind of works because Savara feels able to give it back when necessary. Um, and I think he did tonight. And by all accounts, it was the return position that he was just exasperated with him about. Um, but but Djokovic served great. Medvedev didn't serve great. You know, there were... It was interesting that there weren't... It wasn't about the numbers of double faults, but the double faults were so different to two nights ago. Two nights ago, the the double faults were aggressive double faults. Tonight, it was, you know, 85 mile per hour second serves that were missing, sort of almost miss hit. It was, it just felt like such a different match from Medvedev. And of course, so much of that is about the opponent. Not that Alcaraz isn't fantastic, but it's, he doesn't strangulate you the way that Djokovic does. Exactly. And I think, Medvedev was quite flat the whole match. Like, I, And we've never seen aggro, eggy Medvedev really against Djokovic. Like, I, I think he knows that he can be a tough matchup for him. But there, there is almost... There's almost a complex that Medvedev's got, I think, sort of mentally when he plays Djokovic, that he, he isn't going to be eggy, aggro Medvedev. And I think he, I think he maybe needed to be in that second set. He needed to show a bit more because he was right there with Djokovic in that set and and the and the interesting tale of that set was what was happening to Novak Djokovic physically i mean he was he was shaking out his legs he was collapsing after points at times he was using a lot of ice at the changeovers he was using the aircon uh, that they get given and blasting it in his face he was taking sips of water after points in the middle of games you know he was I do believe he was struggling physically in that set. And, of course, whenever you see Novak Djokovic like that in a five-set match, you have to tell yourself, well, it's a five-set match, he's an absolute master at these, 
and he will get a second wind. He will, he will, he will be able to power through this. And I was telling myself that the entire time. But I did think that if Medvedev could win that second set after, you know, an hour and 45 minutes, I did think he might get a payoff and a benefit from trying to take Djokovic's legs away later in the match. But it all depended on whether he could actually win that second set. And of course he didn't. And then Djokovic gets his second win at the start of the third and pretty much rolls through that third set one one bad game aside. But there was a moment there when Djokovic's legs seemed to be going. The fact it was against Medvedev made me think this is a big set for Djokovic because he is going to need his legs later in this match if it goes deep. If that was happening against a player who he can generally beat a bit more easily than Medvedev, I wouldn't have been that worried for Djokovic at all during that second set. But because it was Medvedev and we know what Medvedev's capable of, I did think that there was a premium on Djokovic trying to win that second set. And of course, eventually he got it into a tie break. And then there was this this classic Novak Djokovic where he loses the best point of the match an absolutely epic rally at 4-all in the tie-break. Medvedev goes 5-4 up, and the, the stadium is buzzing at this point. It feels like a momentum shift, a game-changing moment. Medvedev doesn't win another point in the tie-break. And I, it was such a classic of the genre. Win epic point against Novak Djokovic. Think that the match is going to turn, and then he just is a mental giant, locks down, wins the next three points, and it was was kind of over. Yeah, well, I think Medvedev knew, judging by the way he spoke afterwards, that it was pretty much over there. He, he was going to still try, but how do you come back from that? And Goran Ivanisevic gave the most wonderfully blunt assessment of the Wimbledon final and this in one answer. He just said, well, at Wimbledon, he lost the second set when it was like that. If mm-hmm. he'd have won it, it would have been three sets. Here... He wins it. It's three sets. Simple as that in Goran's eyes. He thinks that all the histrionics, all the drama would never have happened at Wimbledon had Djokovic won that second set. He may be wrong. Um, and he, he was keen to give credit to... He loves Alcaraz. You can tell that Goran really loves Alcaraz as well. He's as into the rivalry as we are. Um, and he wants to see that match. Well, he presumably spent the fortnight doing scouting reports on Alcaraz, Absolutely. which never got... Yeah. to use um, are, are we that line about Medvedev knowing the match was over pretty much after the second set and we all felt that it was over as well Leonardo DiCaprio left after the second set he was, <laughs> I, I finally spotted where he was sitting which was quite near to us and I was quite distracted by sort of watching him watch tennis and he jogged on after my, my, after set two my colleague Vassos uh, uh, when he was on BBC Radio we, we, we found DiCaprio one year and tried to doorstep interview him <laughs> I can imagine how that went <laughs> it didn't go because well. he doesn't even sit down in the box because he doesn't want to be seen he, he wears and I've seen this before he wears he wears black black cap black sunglasses and tonight he was standing with two blokes in front of him on his tiptoes looking over them what to try and watch the tennis cause just because he didn't want to be on mm. camera. I, th- I, think, I mean, being I'd, famous is just crap. I'd have it? to check with Vassos, but I think the answer was something like, do I look like I want to interview <laughs> with you? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> something like that. 
Yeah, look, my my eyes wandered during that third set to um, to, to celebrity spotting because some of them they do do a great job at the U.S. Open of um, you know showing you people on camera and playing associated music where mm. appropriate. They and played some music from Hamilton when Lin Manuel Miranda came up on the screen. What else did they play? I can't can't remember. So Justin Timberlake, I think, yes, when he came up on the Justin screen. Timberlake. I, was, I was very amused that Virginia Wade was sitting right behind him. Was she? <laughs> yes. Well, the shortly before Virginia was was shown on the screen, Timothy Chalamet and Kylie Jenner arrived. Who were who were David's nodding. I I am curious who they are. <laughs> they're a they're a hot new couple. David. What do they, they only do? went they only went officially public about a week ago. I think this was their second public appearance. It was a big deal that they came today. Are they famous for anything other than being uh, Timothy, a couple? Timothy Chalamet is a, a, a Oscar nominated actor. A young Oscar nominated actor. Probably think. Have you seen Dune? <laughs> Have you seen Call, Call Me by, by Your, your Name? name? No, Davis, I've, Davis I've heard of June when it was in the eighties. It was a version of that. <laughs> Beautiful boy. I've seen Beautiful Mind. No. <laughs> okay. And Kylie Jenner is a is a member of the Kardashian family. David, it's not who I thought Timothy Chalamet would go for either. But here we are. Anyway, I mean, I, I'm not judging. I don't even. Anyway, really know they're who both it is. extremely famous. They're they're now an official couple and they showed up at the US Open but halfway halfway through and, and i got the early early word that they'd shown up at Matt's the US Open Matt's got a new contact to work mm, david got a new source they hard launched it Hang- their relationship is that what they've done Hang, we're just hearing about Matt's source okay mm, my new source at people magazine <laughs> no way mm. Sports reporter at People Magazine came Honestly, to sit next to me in the uh, press seat. If I had known a sports reporter at People Magazine was a job, then I, I, I might not be sitting here <laughs> presenting <laughs> the tennis podcast. <laughs> yeah, she was living her best life. Anyway, Timothy Chalamet and uh, Kylie Jenner come into the stadium and I spot them and I think, right, they're, they're definitely being, whether they like it or not, they're being shown on camera at the next change of ends. Who pops up? Virginia Wade. <laughs> Excellent. I loved it. She had no idea she was on the screen. No. She was just texting away. <laughs> <laughs> Go yeah. on, Virginia. It was brilliant. Anyway, what was I saying? I was saying... Medvedev checking the out. The third set. I think you were going look, to get we, to that. It's very pragmatic and realistic. We were all thinking it too. Is it a problem that Medvedev was thinking that? I just like... With Sabalenka last night, I was disappointed in his resistance in that third set, quite honestly. Yeah, uh, I think, I mean, look, he, he's, he was still trying. He was still, he's, he is a winner, I think. He really wants to, like, prolifically win tennis matches. That's that's kind of what he's always talking about. He plays all the time. Um, but I did feel like, I didn't see any comeback coming there. You know, when Djokovic goes to Zeslav down, I realise he's a different beast and a different level. He, he has different level of tennis in his bones. But it's just two stages of a five-stage act at this point mm. when it's Novak Djokovic. I didn't think Medvedev really believed from there at all. Yeah, I don't disagree, although I would say out of... 
out of the three sets, I think the third set was kind of the most understandable in that he's just lost this one hour, 45 minute set. Like, you have to be kind of an all-time great, I think, to be able to come back from there two sets down against yeah, Novak Djokovic. I think I think Medvedev would be very disappointed in how he came out in that match. Mm. He was not good in that first set at all. I think Djokovic played well, but pretty much within himself in that first set. He didn't need to dig deep to win it. And then he was the just sec- sort of locked down, Yeah, wasn't he was he? good. He yeah. was changing the direction well. He was hitting it mm. up the line nicely, and he was, as we said, serving volleying and at the net was good. And the second set, Medvedev was a lot better for sure, but that was the set where he had his chances and he didn't he didn't take them as David said. Whenever he even even the half chances, even even the sort of thirty alls and he would miss a return. A lot of unforced errors, really. Right. I, I, I kept thinking he's got himself in position. How has he missed that return? Yeah. I kept saying it in commentary. How has he missed that Medvedev doesn't miss these? Why is he missing them mm. all? So yeah, I, I I agree. I was a bit disappointed by the lack of fight in that third set. You know, he got the, he got it back on serve. He was gifted again by Novak Djokovic, and then he just gifted it yeah. right back. That was disappointing. But I think the match was was lost in those first two sets. Really, yeah. I I agree. Even if he had shown fight, I wouldn't have thought <laughs> that will lead to anything. I just yeah. set all would have been interesting. But you're would, right. Yeah. It, it would have been. It's a, it would have been. You just wanted to see him make that third set really knife-edge stuff at the very least. And I, th- I think he's just gone, hasn't he, really? Can we talk about just the... Res- uh, there needs to be a new word for it, doesn't there? But the resilience of Novak Djokovic is going back to that Wimbledon defeat and specifically the fact that that Wimbledon defeat burst the calendar slam mm. bubble. I I honestly really wondered if this US Open would be a 2017 Australian Open type situation for Novak Djokovic. You know, a, a, a random loss to Dennis Istomin in the second or, or third round. or You, you know, would I, I really thought that he might just not have the appetite to go to, to dark places and might need an off-season and a reset to get back mentally where he has to go to to do what he does on a tennis court and to think that he's he's here just having shrugged that off it's understandable i think unreal that you, that you had that reaction i think if it were not for carlos alcaraz i would be more inclined to think that that was going to happen because i just think alcaraz has got him buzzing and i think you know Deep down, he, he he was a bit. He would probably be a bit disappointed that he didn't get to play him, um, even though he's won the title. Even though he knows Medvedev is really good, he loves it. He wants to <laughs> come on, bring it on, Carlos. You and me, let's just play every day. Well, that's it. I think I think Cincinnati was big, yeah, for Djokovic in that respect, in terms of getting over Wimbledon. Mm. Like he got to play Alcaraz at his very next tournament. Beat him over four hours, and it—I don't want to say reignited him because clearly he hadn't—he hadn't lost that fuel and that desire because it was there in Cincinnati at his vein. The belief, though, I reckon. But I think the belief, absolutely. Mm. I think getting that win 
over Alcaraz on a hard court, leading into the US Open, teed him up kind of perfectly for this US Open. And once the tournament started, I wasn't worried about him. But Gor- I, Goran but- said that Wimbledon never came up. When they went to Cincinnati, mm. it was never mentioned. Very interesting, isn't it? And, and it is... It is something he's done his whole career. Other than that weird patch in, as you said, end of 2016, 2017, where he definitely did lose motivation, he has been astonishingly good at bouncing back from disappointment or getting getting revenge on players who've just beaten him. He, he's, he's so good at that. And in, in many ways, it's makes total sense that he's won the next tournament mm. after a kind of heartbreaking Wimbledon defeat. You but always it's, mention it's extraordinary. that. 2015. 2015. French, French Open to Wimbledon bounce back. It struck me as remarkable at the time. He finally was in a French Open final, not against Rafael Nadal, desperately trying to win the career Grand Slam. He won the first set, I think, against Wawrinka in that match. It was all set up for him. And he loses. And he's in tears on the court afterwards. And his very next tournament was Wimbledon. He didn't play a grass court warm-up. And he won Wimbledon, beating Federer in the final. I just thought... With Federer playing... Federer playing really well. We were talking about it last night, that semi-final against Murray that Mm. Federer played is probably some of the best tennis I've Mm. ever seen. And yet... And everybody assumed, myself included, that Federer would would take that on. A bit like Medvedev, in a way. Take it on now and give it to Djokovic. But Djokovic, you use the word resilience, Catherine. It is mind-blowing how Mm. resilient he is, how how he finds a way to reset. In his own way, it's a Nadal skill of putting Mm. the past behind you really quickly. He does it in a different way and not quite so... it's, It's a calculated way, like a process but bloody hell it works can we talk about the white 24 t-shirts Wimbledon left over that is exactly what I was going to put to you they have to be right surely they had those ready at Wimbledon why are they white yeah, I think they probably were. They, they were like jackets, and they all had them on, didn't they? Um, the, the t- I mean, like family members. Stefan, his little son, had <laughs> yeah. one on. Goran had one on. I was thinking, God, they'll, they'll, they'll have worked hard to get Goran in that. I noticed he came into his press conference without it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's a conversation we often have. Uh, the, 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 the Grand Slam uh, garb that never gets to see the light of day. And, we, you know, we've heard about a couple of uh, items that have been produced for players to celebrate massive moments that never happened. It's like drafts in your tweets, uh, tweets in your drafts, isn't it? Mm. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just not one of those things that we ever get to see. But, I mean, yeah, they were straight out with those. <laughs> I remember when Rafa Nadal won his... 21st slam in Australia last year he wore a t-shirt that had you know, it said Rafa and it had a had a 21 sort of sort of etched into that Rafa and the 21 was in orange as though it was ready for Roland Garros the previous year Ooh. as it was clay you know it was a very clay themed shirt and he reused that in when he got to 21 in in Melbourne the following year. And I think 
I think Novak Djokovic has has reused and recycled his uh, twenty four jacket that was ready for Wimbledon. It, I mean, eco, absolutely. Pe- people are gluing their feet to stadium, <laughs> stadiums, stadia. It's it's the least that Lacoste can do. <laughs> um, we didn't touch upon Coco Goff's team t-shirts yesterday did we no what was it call call me play on the words of call me coco because when she when she first erupted onto the scene they had t-shirts didn't they call me and then call call me me coco because because me coco because her real name is corey but was there something crossed out was corey crossed out and no no i don't know just call me coco yeah uh, but in this one, they crossed out Coco and replaced it with Champion. Champion, yeah. Look, I, I don't, I don't love, I don't love these things. Mm, I don't really. I, I understand why they do it. Yeah, and it is just a thing that everybody does. Now. Yeah, I like that it exists for fans to have. Yeah. Like I can, like if I was a big Coco Golf fan, yeah, I would want a have it available on your website. Champion fan. I think that yeah. would be great, and I would want a, if I was an Novak Djokovic like, fan, t- I'd like want a tour 24. merch. Yeah, it's the whipping it out and yeah. and just oh, something about knowing it's in the bag the whole time. <laughs> We've had about twenty eight of them in a bag today. <laughs> yeah, I oh, I don't know. I, that's we were talking about this yesterday, me. and I, I desperately now want to know if there was a Casper Rude World Number One T-shirt <laughs> last year. <laughs> it's such a good conversation to be had about. What, I ask Casper which Rude honestly, that one day. I, I would. Ask, I, which ones are somewhere that we, I want mm. to go to a museum of of sporting artifacts that never were. Oh. No. I, I want to do a show on it. Mm. I remember <laughs> in the uh, Bundesliga last year, Dortmund uh, were all set to win the title over Bayern, and they we, had their they had their champion T-shirts out. People were wearing them to the game, oh, and then they lost and didn't end up winning winning the title. And yeah, there were there were Dortmund fans wearing those slight like people with them. Lose. them. 23-24 season Fulham shirts with Mitro on the back. <laughs> Too soon? Or it's like people who... <laughs> Damn he's, you. He's laughing. He's it's laughing. Like people fine. who do a tattoo of a player who then gets sold oh. to the, the, the nearest rivals. I mean, that's always a risk, isn't it? Sort of serves you right. Yeah. It's, it's like if Vondrosa had done the tattoo before the final <laughs> <laughs> and then lost. There was a guy at my school whose birthday was January the 31st, which is transfer deadline day. And he very proudly came in once with his Andy Carroll Newcastle shirt bought for him on that day. And that was the day he signed <gasps> for Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, a slight tangent. You know, you know how Ons Jabeur had has the trophy and so forth on a screensaver? Mm. And yesterday we had Coco Goff saying, I don't, I, was, I would banish thoughts of myself with the trophy whenever I would have them. I quickly tried to erase those because, because I think it's, it's a problem. It's, it's interesting one, isn't it? Is visualization of holding a trophy good or is it actually maybe in Jabir's case, was that the problem? Yeah, I mean, psychology is such a complex thing, isn't it? I mean, I think the answer is horses for courses, as as boring as as that is. It depends where you are mentally, 
yeah. and emotionally how developed you are, what kind of trauma and baggage you're you're carrying around. Yeah, one person's visualization is another person's. Um, I don't know. Sort of feel like I've quoted this an awful lot this tournament, but another person's is a you know is a dream alive. It don't come true type type situation and th- there's a lot of that in sport you know one person's delusion is another person's self-belief where does mm. and actually just to where bring, are the lines bringing it back to Djokovic maybe of all the things that he does well it's a- approaching these occasions and delivering not you know yes two years ago we saw this Medvedev match again last night he just couldn't quite cope. It was too much. He'd expended too much. He got too worked up. And he actually made a big point of how that was his his goal, to not get so worked up. And and he's come on a lot in those two years. I think he's mentally stronger now than he was two years ago. He's beefed himself up. He's muscular now. He's filling mm. that shirt in a way. We were really taken aback by how scrawny he was in that final two years ago and and I, I know he could, he could be getting better it's going to it's going to turn eventually obviously age will defeat him eventually or bring him down just don't know how long that's going to be I think we're definitely in for at least another year maybe two years of him and Alcraz just going at it I do I do find next year particularly interesting because it's an Olympic year and that's yeah. particularly interesting for Djokovic because it's pretty much the only thing missing from his trophy cabinet. Goran I mean, said he it wants is to go- the only thing, Yeah. Right? Goran <laughs> said today he wants to play uh, LA28. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> He'll be in his 40s. We all laughed, but he didn't seem like he was making it up. <laughs> I don't know. He, did, he says, look, you'll have wow. to, he says you'll have to ask him. Uh, when he was asked, to, you know, how many more could he? He said, "Oh, you'll have to ask him." But I, I think he'll be playing for <laughs> ages. Was the gist of it? I mean, There's okay, a- can't quite <laughs> process that. Looking at Paris next year, I mean, how does that change his year? Because it has to be a massive goal, right? Massive, massive target. I think he'll be targeting a calendar slam again. Why would he? Why would he not be? Those are the two things missing from his trophy cabinet record, not cabinet record list, record collection. I don't know. Um, so I think that's what next year will will revolve around. It'll be interesting. You know, let's say he wins Australia and Paris, which with Carlos Alcaraz on the scene, I know is a huge if. But then he's got this sort of grass court straight into Olympics back on clay situation to manage. I don't know, it just, it just puts a really fascinating extra complexion on 2024. And um, I, I love it when the Olympics matters to players and it's not just a nice bonus that they'll have a go at. And I have to think that that will be as much of a priority for Novak Djokovic next year as anything else. But I'd agree. But he does turn thirty-seven next year, and I know he keeps defining a defying age. But at some point, 
at some point it'll start to come to bear and there's that's effectively an extra grand slam next season isn't it and mm. it's amazing it, he hasn't <laughs> had any like serious injuries apart from the elbow mm. He's he had, never he had, had, like, lower body no. injuries. He never has, like, knee injuries or mm. anything like that. Or He, he had his hamstring issue at, 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 in Australia and uh, muscle problems. But, I mean, most of these players, by this age, one of their joints is starting to wear mm. out. He said something in his press conference after the semi-final, which I didn't take too much notice of at the time, but it's quite interesting now just thinking about it in terms of next year with the Olympics sort of complicating and jamming up the schedule. He said, I don't know how many years I had a he- I have ahead of me. I don't know how many of the years where I play four slams in the whole season do I have in front of me. And he may well have been talking about, you know, he'd, he might be injured and miss a slam. But it would be interesting if, I still, th- I agree, I still think calendar slam, he's going to be thinking in those terms. I mean, why wouldn't he be? He's just... He's just gone what twenty seven and one in in slams this year. Like he prob- he probably thinks he can turn that into twenty eight and zero. But it, you know, we saw Federer towards the end of his career cut out mm. the clay court swing and focus on the grass. Like I've never really considered that with Djokovic, just because he's always been chasing slams and he's so good on all surfaces. It doesn't feel like he needs to do that. But I, I wonder whether next season. I find it very hard to think he would let go of a slam to play the Olympics, but I don't know. It might, it might be something that as his career develops, him. it might be something that he thinks about. For sure. that Yeah. And it has to eventually. And he, he's already I mean, really slimming it down, has, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, like he only played Cincinnati before this one. He doesn't play grass court warm-ups. He only pretty much plays... Rome these days doesn't he before the French and yeah I mean he's he's definitely cracked it to a large Mm. degree to be coming in as fresh as ever but this is a new one the Olympics is another element altogether and isn't that'll be on clay at Roland Garros right Mm -hmm. so that's an interesting switch Mm. that sticking that between Wimbledon and the US absolutely is quite a clay grass clay hard in you know the space of six weeks it's yeah it's not nothing so it, it makes it just a really interesting story to follow throughout the year mm. that one mm, absolutely hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Can the year start now? <laughs> I know there's still some of the 2023 tennis season still to go and... and we will we will get pumped about it when the time comes. We're going to be back with you in a week's time doing our regular weekly show talking about Davis Cup ties coming next weekend and I'm I'm very glad we're doing that because otherwise I'll um I'll have the 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 post Grand Slam blues but it feels like a long time to wait before the next slam, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean the, the, when when you go Paris Wimbledon New York. Mm. Once yeah. you get to the the eve of the French Open and suddenly realise all of this is coming and it's in the, in this three month period, four month period, it's uh, it's just amazing. Um, and there are two quite big gaps, you know, between the next ones. But um, at least tennis's ones are quite long, <laughs> rather than rather than the golf majors, which are four days. True, true, and we have. We've already started making plans for the Australian Open, haven't we? Oh yes. Booked our accommodation, mm. looking at dates. Um, can you can you tell we can't we can't quite wait for for the Australian Open? And if you would like to go in style, AO Travel can sort you out. They operate the official travel program for the Australian Open, the first Grand Slam of the calendar year. In Melbourne, they take care of everything for you. Everything but the packing, flights, premium accommodation, tournament tickets, and behind-the-scenes experiences, which now include, of course, access to the AO Travel Lounge. They even have walk-on experiences onto the actual Rod Laver Arena. Plus, we have a 500 Australian dollar discount code for AO Travel Lounge packages available to all friends of the Tennis Podcast. Yet another reason to become a friend of the Tennis Podcast. And the link to do that, as always, is in our show notes. So, to celebrate the launch of the AO Travel Lounge, one lucky Tennis Podcast listener will be winning big, folks. They will win an AO Travel Premium Lounge package for yourself and a friend to visit the Australian Open next January. You'll get two return economy flights to Melbourne, tickets to the Rod Laver Arena over the middle weekend of the Open, three nights accommodation at the five-star Pullman on the Park Hotel in Melbourne, 
and two-day access to that incredible AO Travel Lounge. You can enter the competition today by clicking the link provided in your show notes. You have until Monday the 18th of September at 11.59pm New York time to enter. Terms and conditions apply. Very best of luck. We also have a live show coming for friends tomorrow. Today, potentially, as you're listening to this, we'll be recording it right here in Tennis Podcast Towers at 1pm New York time. That is 6pm UK time, 10am East, no, 10am West Coast time. We are on East Coast time. Uh, And that is exclusively live and will be available as a podcast, but exclusively available to friends of the tennis podcast we've got a guest editor in place that is phil matt's been in touch with phil with all the brilliant questions we've got and he has been curating them uh, and all of our guest editors do an incredible job with that so we can't wait and that will be tomorrow as i mentioned earlier we have our next daily show coming a week tomorrow we'll be reviewing the Davis Cup qualifiers taking place over next weekend. And we also have a very special announcement for you uh, regarding a live show towards the end of the year. I am, I'm travelling back to my hometown. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be Jenny for the, from the block for a, <laughs> for a couple of days, David. We're going to Shrewsbury. Yep. Why did I say it like that? I've got I was going to say, hang on a minute. Oh, my God. It's Shrewsbury. <laughs> Is Matt, it? Matt and I had a big conversation yesterday saying I'm so... I said, I said, I say Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury interchangeably. I don't know how to pronounce that word. And knowing Catherine is, is an expert. I lived I, there for the first six months of my life. I'm, <laughs> I'm all over it. I, I consulted you and you confidently said it was Shrewsbury. It's Shrewsbury. And now you just said Shrewsbury. I've got the yips. It's, <laughs> it's Blake Shelton all over again. When I was little, I used to think it was Shrewsbury. And now I say Shrewsbury. But I don't know which one's right either. <laughs> what I do know, though, is that we are going there. And we're going there on Wednesday, the 18th of October, for Tennis Podcast Live. So you could be in the audience uh, as we take your questions and have a good old chat. And it's not just Shrewsbury picked out of a hat as a place to go. They actually stage a W100 tennis event uh, there, and your ticket will include courtside seats for a Kraken doubles match that they're going to have on uh, on that evening, on Wednesday the 18th of October. You'll then get Shrewsbury or Shrewsbury-style street Shro- food. Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury street food? <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, it's nice. It's, it's really top-notch What's stuff. What's the local cuisine of Shrewsbury? Uh, you'll find out. <laughs> but I'm, I'm assured by Dave Corteen, who's one of our listeners and uh, friends of the Tennis Podcast and who uh, runs the most fantastic tennis event there, that it's blooming nice. And it's all part of your ticket. So you get to see some tennis. You get to have some brilliant street food. Uh, and whilst you're sitting waiting for us to come out uh, for Tennis Podcast Live, so you can be in the audience. Tickets are on sale now. Um, and as a friend of the Tennis Podcast, you'll also get a 20% discount code if you get in touch with us. Friends at TennisPodcast.net if you'd like the discount code. And we'll also stick it in a newsletter uh, in a few days' time. And you know what I'm very excited about? 
Shrewsbury Street Food? (laughs) Yes. And cameraman Matthew is going to be there. Revival of King of the 90s. Mm. It's next incarnation. Is he looking for a bit of a rematch? We we are. I'm making him look for a rematch. King of the noughties, I reckon. Hell yes. I don't know whether I want to change the criteria. (laughs) But, you know, I'm happy to take him on, yeah. Matt and I are the Games Masters, so watch this space, folks. Uh, What are US Open? I mean, not necessarily in terms of matches, I don't think. We probably probably should front up about that. It's it's We've been short It's been on matches. the duddish side, matches-wise. Obviously, there's been the odd one, like there always is. But realistically, I don't think we're going to look back on this as a classic, are we? No, I don't think so, matches-wise. Uh, there was women's semi-final night, which I don't think were great quality matches, but they delivered a lot of drama and intrigue. Uh, Coco Goff winning the title is obviously, narrative-wise, just extremely special. Novak Djokovic winning 24 is is a massive story in the sport as well. But, yeah, honestly, a shortage of great matches. Mm. I I said this the other day. I, I feel like I haven't... In the first week, I didn't feel like I watched a huge amount of tennis in person because, you know, I'm always watching my screens when there's so much going on and I will suddenly decide to go out to a match that's really great and there was a lot of occasions where I thought I'll go if that happens and it never never quite mm. happened it never quite ignited uh, most of the time but you know maybe it was a tournament where narrative took over from matches and that's fine you know we're lucky we get four of these a year and we've had <laughs> three already this year which will Filled with great matches. Your big Vera Zvonareva prediction didn't even come true, <laughs> Matt. She teased and teased you. She reached the doubles final with Laura Siegmund, and then they lost in the final match to Gabby Dabrowski and Erin Routcliffe. 7 6 6 3 for Dabrowski and Routcliffe. Incredible result for them. I, 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 I was going to find it funny if Laura Siegmund ended up with the US Open <laughs> trophy. <laughs> After all of this, I sort of... That would have been hilarious. Yeah. There's not a uh, Champions Ball, is there, at the US (laughs) Open? Can you imagine if if Siegmund had won and then had to sort of share that space with Kogo Goff again? Oh, yes. Congratulations to Dabrowski and Routliff. We had the conclusion of the singles events uh, for all of the wheelchair tournaments today. You'll be unsurprised to hear that Dede de Holt won the Women's Wheelchair Singles title. That is her sixth at the US Open, which is outrageous. She's only, 20, she's only 26 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, look, look at Stephanie Day. These, these players, you know, fitness permitting can go on for a long time, and she's already won six at this slam alone, 20 um, overall Grand Slam singles titles. It's it's mad. It's mad what she's doing. Incredible stuff. Alfie Hewitt won the men's wheelchair singles title, beating his longtime doubles partner and compatriot Gordon Reed in the final six four six three. It it blew my mind, David, that this was the first time they'd met in a Grand Slam final. Yeah, um, I had a chat with Alfie afterwards, and uh, and he did say that that 
they used to play in each other now, even though they're doubles partners. They've they've got over the, the sort of slight awkwardness you might get and so forth. But it was a big deal for Gordon to get to this final. He hasn't been in one of those for a bit. Um, but yeah, that bookends the year for Alfie Hewitt, who won the Australian Open. He had disappointing time in the middle there with the French Open and Wimbledon not winning those. And he's, you know, Wimbledon is the one he still hasn't won. <laughs> I asked a bit of a. Uh, a difficult question in my last question to him I said if if I could just give you one tournament that you could win next year bear in mind it's Paralympic year uh, what would you go for <laughs> and he just he went around in circles about <laughs> Paralympic gold or uh, or, or Wimbledon title and uh, in the end he said a very very sensible thing and he said honestly I, I'm going to look to dominate and I want to win them all an answer to the question no though, is it he, he, he said he said he, that was a he said that was a tough one <laughs> but anyway yeah that's what i'm here for alfie congratulations alfie and the final wheelchair result of the tournament was the quad wheelchair singles being won by the second seed over the first seed sam schroeder defeating countryman niels vink six three Seven five. That his second uh, U.S. Open singles title, and his one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth Grand Slam singles title overall. They've got a great little rivalry. Those two going on. Yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. And that's it for the U.S. Open 2023, and for the Grand Slam year 2023. Uh, as I say, we still have our review show to come. We'll be recording that on Tuesday. And we have our Q&A show that we'll be recording tomorrow. Both of those for Friends of the Tennis Podcast. The latter, the Q&A show tomorrow, will also be a live YouTube show for any friends that want to watch it in that format and see our tired, tired faces. Willow has been our incredible US Open mascot. Let's say a big hello and thank you to Willow. Willow featured prominently on our Instagram today and she is a hit. Yeah. Unsurprisingly. Great picks. Thank you, Willow. We have our mascots. I'm the... sorry, Catherine. This is a devastating This is a tough portion. Um, look, we tasted, we tasted what victory might feel like and it was oh so sweet and <laughs> it is... It is indeed the hope that kills. And Zenya, it was a valiant effort from us. What ruined it? Well, Novak Djokovic. <laughs> what was and what, me. What needed to happen for Catherine to win? Uh, Catherine needed four sets. Yeah. Any four or five sets. Any. It needed any result in four or sets. five sets, and Catherine would have won. If it had been Medvedev in three, then top folk and executive producer Drew would have won but because it was Djokovic in three then top folk and executive producer Hannah well done won Hannah. congrats Hannah well done Hannah and <laughs> fun group with the newsletter predictions this tournament I've enjoyed being part of that WhatsApp group immensely so thanks to thanks to all of them that Thank was you. that was great yeah well done Hannah <laughs> <sighs> David Maisie right Maisie uh, I blew it sorry not as badly as Matt and Darwin. <laughs> yeah. 
just disastrous year, Darwin. I'm sorry. Darwin <laughs> switched to me this year in the hope of success and I feel like I've let Darwin down. I think Darwin might be going for Catherine. Yeah, and then she's, so. She seems to be on an upward trend. <laughs> it was one tournament only. Uh, Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Claus. Billy Jean, I'll be home soon. Cuddles are coming. Although she's absolutely not short of cuddles at all. Um, and frankly doesn't notice my absence, but I notice hers. So looking forward to it's it. not true. <laughs> um, we have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie... And Drew, <laughs> thank you, thank you to you, and we have our final U.S. Open shout-outs, Matt. We start with Karen Varley, who is in Guernsey. Ah, oh, like our dear friend and colleague Woolly Sarah Woolens, mm. and and I get the feeling Woolly knows most people in Guernsey. Yes, so I'd I be reckon extremely surprised. I reckon if... Karen knows Woolly. I feel yeah, pretty confident about that. Yeah. Hello, Karen. Tennis Hi, Karen. Hatchinov. <laughs> Rinaldi. Is that right? No, that's no. Kathy. <laughs> oh, dear. It's not going very well, is it? I haven't even had a drink yet. I mean, Karen is... Ha- Hatchinov is... Yeah, that's the correct answer. Yeah, that's the correct spelling. Yeah. Don't even need a different pew. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. And let us know if you know Woolly. Yeah, thanks, Karen. Mm. Only if you like her. I mean, how could you not like Willie? Yeah. And if you don't know Willie, we'll put you in touch. <laughs> Willie's a delight. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Karen. We've also got... Um, well, this comes from Bethan, but it's a shout-out for her husband, Adam, who is in Melbourne in Australia, and it was Adam's birthday on the 5th of September. So a belated happy birthday to happy birthday, Adam, Adam. Bethan and all of us. Aww. Hello, Adam. And thank you, Bethan, for doing such a nice thing for Adam. I feel like we've been in the situation of trying to think of Tennis Adams before. And I think we got sent one and I can't remember who it is. <laughs> Sorry. There must be Tennis Adams. There must be. But we don't know any of them. Oh. Katrina Adams. I mean, that's look at this point. Matt will take it. it. That is clutching. Yeah. I feel bad that I. Look, it'll do. <laughs> I think there was a tennis player in the nineties called Chuck Adams. So there you are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, we've got Kristen, who is originally from Long Island, New York, but currently living in Durham, North Carolina. All right, Christian. Kristen. Kristen. Oh. <laughs> All right, Kristen. Different church, different pew. <laughs> Kristen says, I love starting my day with the podcast and most often listen while driving into work if you're ever looking for a new merch idea i would enthusiastically buy and i'm listening to the tennis podcast bumper sticker for oh my car. that's cool <laughs> very good idea that's a great idea Kristen. Mm. matt went to university in durham different durham but different durham yeah, yeah. what's the what's the church pew situation there same pew different church i think yeah 
Yeah, which is... Which is odd, but <laughs> I think that's true. <laughs> Thank you, Kristen. Chuck Adams is a former professional tennis player who won an one ATP singles title and achieved a career-high singles ranking of world number 34 in 1995. He was definitely American, wasn't he? Chuck. Obvs. That's impressive. Thank you. Tenuous, but impressive. <laughs> Thank you, Kristen. Oh, yeah. So, so, thank you so much, Kristen. I can't think of anybody who's Kristen. Um, no, but we've talked about Durren. Oh, that's so right. So we, we haven't let Kristen down too badly. And a massive thanks, think. Kristen. Being massive thanks, Kristen. Massive thanks to all of our shout-out friends, our intro friends, our pet mascots, Willow, of course. Everybody that supports this tennis podcast in what we do without you without friends of the tennis podcast we wouldn't be able to be here we wouldn't be able to be doing what we're doing and making plans to do more of it and making it bigger and better and doing as good a job of talking about this sport that we love um for as many of you as want to listen and yeah it is it is heartfelt thanks to you for for making it possible and we hope you do enjoy the extra content that you get in exchange and there'll be plenty more of that to come over the coming days and weeks so if you'd like to become a friend of the tennis podcast this is your last call to action and reminder that the link to do so is in the show notes which leaves me to say thank you david thank you matt thank you to everybody that has contributed to the tennis podcast over the course of the past two weeks. There are so many people without whom we wouldn't be able to do this. And it, uh, it really is an incredible team that we have. And thank you most importantly to you for listening. It'd just be us speaking into a void without you. So we thank you. For... Like it was in 2012 in my <laughs> yeah. parents' dining room. So we thank you for, uh, for saving us from ourselves and we'll be back back tomorrow for friends and for everyone else we'll be back in a week speak to you then hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 